0: Hello, good evening, and welcome to tonight's edition of Resistance TV. In this evening's programme, I'm going to be speaking to Tony Greenstein about his new book entitled Zionism During the Holocaust. Tony is the son of a rabbi who fought Oswald Mosley's fascists in the 1930s. He's a veteran anti-Zionist activist and a founding member of the Palestine Solidarity Campaign. He also helped to establish Jews for boycotting Israeli goods. Tony is a long-standing anti-fascist campaigner, and the author of A History of Fighting Fascism in Brighton and the South Coast. And he has the dubious distinction of being the first Jewish member during Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of the Labour Party to be expelled for bringing the party into disrepute after being absurdly accused of anti-Semitism. Tony, your book's an extraordinary tale. I mean, first of all, let me ask you what motivated you to
1: write it? Uh, I think the mo- the the main thing that pr- prompted me to write, it was the way that the Holocaust itself has been weaponized in the service of the Israeli state and what it's doing. I mean, for example, when Abba Ibn, the Israeli foreign minister, who was a member of the Israeli Labour government, don't forget, uh, when uh, people were proposing withdrawing to the Green Line, which is where Israel was, Before 1967, he referred to the borders as Auschwitz borders, Uh, and there's been very similar uh, comments in relation to the Holocaust. When Begin, when Israel was uh, surrounding Beirut, uh, where Yasser Arafat was holed out back in 1982, Menachem Begin referred to Arafat as Hitler in his bunker. So, I mean, you have. A continual use. I mean, as Edith Zertel said, there hasn't been a war fought by Israel that hasn't been in the name of the Holocaust. And that is the problem. The Holocaust has been used to justify many of the pogroms and attacks on the Palestinians, which are, of course, reminiscent of what happened to the Jews. So I thought I should write a book explaining what the Zionist role was during the Holocaust, which is very different from what they appear now.
0: I mean, i have not had a chance to 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 read the book yet, Tony, because you, I think you've only just taken a delivery of them. But but I, you, you've given me some sort of uh, nuggets, some 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 act- extracts, and mm. I mean, it's uh, it, it's 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 astonishing, frankly, you know, to 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 realise the the extent of the um, Zionist sort of role uh, in kind of working, you know, effectively, you know, with with the Nazis. But I just wonder. In your opinion, how has the Zionist lobby been able to keep it secret, essentially, from so many people for so long?
1: Well, it hasn't been secret. I mean, if you wanted the information, you could find it, but you'd have to go to journals, you'd have to go to papers, uh, etc. Like many things, uh, it wasn't the right narrative because Israel is the favoured son of the Western imperial powers. So they have adopted a narrative of the Holocaust which sees Israel as the natural successor uh, to those who died. I mean, people don't realize, for example, that when many rescue schemes were proposed uh, in the 1940s uh, or 30s for German Jews, uh, the Zionist movement was opposed. The Zionist leaders were bitterly opposed, and they were opposed on the grounds, in essence, if Jews could be rescued in countries other than Palestine, what was the point of having a Jewish state? That was their logic. Uh, I mean, I can give you examples. Uh, in 19... You will, you, I'm sure, know in 1938, November, there was a, a massive pogrom against the Jews called Kristallnacht. It was the first major pogrom... Uh, the Night of the Broken Glass, it's called, because of the number of windows that were shattered, uh, as well as synagogues burnt. And after that, Britain, uh, the government, agreed that 10,000 German Jewish children would come to Britain uh, in what was known as the Kinder Transport. So you might ask, what was the attitude of the Zionists? You'd think they'd be overjoyed that here were 10,000 children, Jewish children, who were being rescued from what may be uh, fatal consequences. Not a bit of it. David Ben-Gurion, who was then the chair of the Jewish Agency, which was the government-in-waiting in in Palestine and the first prime minister of Israel, said uh, in a speech to Mapai, that's the Israeli Labour Party's central committee, on the 9th of December 1938, that is a month after Kristallnacht, If I knew that it would be possible to save all the children in Germany by bringing them over to England, and only half of them by transporting them to Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, then I would opt for the second alternative. We must weigh not only the life of these children, but also the history of the people of Israel. So, I mean, that was their position, and it was their position throughout the Holocaust. So there were many rescue schemes, Santo Domingo, Freeland in Australia, Darwin, uh, Alaska, the the leader of the American Zionist, Stephen Weiss, uh, was opposed to it because he said it was too cold because Alaska didn't have immigration controls like the rest of America. Uh, So they went to a place which which was a lot hotter as a result uh, of that. Throughout the war, the Zionist movement and the leadership opposed schemes to rescue Jews, uh, which which would have saved them. And Ben Gurion explained it was in just a week later in a in a memorandum to the Zionist executive on the seventeenth of December, nineteen thirty-eight. He explained the problems. If the Jews are faced with the choice between the refugee problem and rescuing Jews from concentration camps on the one hand, and aid for the National Museum in Palestine on the other, the Jewish sense of pity will prevail, and our people's entire strength will be directed to aid for refugees in the various countries. And this was his fear. Zionism will vanish from the agenda. And indeed, not only world public opinion in England and America, but also from Jewish public opinion. Uh, And he laid it out. We're risking Zionism's very existence if we allow the refugee problem to be separated from the Palestine problem. So that was their solution. When people talked about rescuing refugees, they always said, what about Palestine? But, of course, the British had imposed immigration barriers because the Palestinians had demanded that they didn't want any more settlers. So that therefore meant when, when they opposed rescues to elsewhere, they were, in essence, consigning them uh, to the gas chambers. Uh, and the, there is no doubt that the Zionist movement ha- bears responsibility uh, for maybe two or 300,000 Jews who might otherwise have survived. Yeah. I mean, Tony, obviously
0: you've got your book now, I can see the piles of uh, books that you've had uh, delivered uh, uh, behind you there. I mean, tell us about any difficulties you had in in actually finding a publisher for it.
1: Oh, well, (laughs) I I wrote to a number of Z books. uh, I got back saying the topic was incendiary. Uh, Pluto did not reply, uh, but they were basically not interested. The most promising was Verso, but in the end, they also got cold feet. So I was forced, you know, faced with the problem of having to self-publish. Now, fortunately, self-publishing today is quite different from the past. It is quite easy. And in order to pay the requisite amount of money, uh, I fundraised. I, I, I set up a crowdfunder. And knowing that the Zionists would have it taken down, I set it up at the weekend when we were all in synagogue praying on the Saturday, uh, and, of course, on the Sunday, the day of rest, they wouldn't be there. But So I assumed that by Monday it would be taken down. In fact, it was Tuesday. Uh, it but was I'd taken read, down then, was it? Yeah. It was taken down three days later. But by then I'd written, emailed, or sent the message to every single donor. There were already about... Seven, eight hundred pounds in it, saying, Look, this is gonna get taken down. I have no doubt about it at all. Please send me your email because I will then launch my own crowdfunder, which is of course what I did. I put yeah. it on my blog, the designers are trying to shut it up, and uh people contributed uh, very generously. So they helped fund the book's publication. Oh, nice. That's really encouraging to see that
0: level of, of solidarity. I mean, You said there, yeah. Tony, that um, I think you said it was Verso who said, or was it Verso who said it was incendiary? No, Z-books. Oh, beg your pardon, Z-books. Yeah. Now then, why should, in your opinion, factual history
1: of real events be incendiary? Uh, it's a good question. I don't know. Because, of course, if you raise it, then you get accused of anti-Semitism. You know, you're i mean—the Zionist response to all of this is, well, you're accusing the Jews of killing themselves, but of course you're not. The Zionists were in Germany, two percent of the German Jewish population. In Poland, they've been smashed at the last three elections in 1938. In Warsaw, out of the 20 Jewish council seats, the Zionists got one. The Bund got 17. The anti-Zionist Jewish Bund. So. The Zionists yeah. were a tiny minority of the Jewish population of Eastern Europe and Germany. But today, of course, it's a different matter, and people rewrite history uh, backwards, if you like.
0: So yeah, you know, I, think it, I think it was something that you wrote, uh, Tony, or, or somewhere I read, that, um, and you've kind of alluded to it there, really, but uh, at that sort of time, and for, for a long time, actually, as I understand it, I mean, most Jewish people saw Zionism as a form of, Jewish anti-Semitism,
1: I mean, is that a fair comment? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the anti-Semites wanted the Jews to leave, and the Zionists. I mean, the Zionism was a unique reaction amongst Jews, uh, which said, yes, you're basically right. The problem of the Jews is they're homeless. They are guests who outstayed their welcome in, in other people's hotels. And so there was a, a congruence, if you like, between the Zionists and the anti-Semites. Uh, I mean, I'll give you an example. It's in his diaries, Theodor Herzl. He was the founder of political Zionism. He said uh, he travelled traveled around Europe meeting different royal personages and others like the Pope, the, Sultan, the Ottoman Sultan, the Kaiser of Germany he met in Palestine. He met uh, King Victor in Hungary and so on. And one of the people he met was the uncle of the Kaiser, the Grand Duke of Baden. Uh, And he said, uh, I I hope you support us. And he said, yes, of course, uh, I I support you. I've only got one problem, which is if I support Zionism, people will accuse me of anti-Semitism. And that was it. It, Jews throughout Europe, I mean, the first Zionist Congress was held in Baal in Switzerland in 1897. It was supposed to be held in Munich. But the Munich Jewish community rose up and said, this is an anti-Semitic gathering. We don't want any part of it. Please don't hold it here. So, yes. Well,
0: what, what a curious irony then, Tony, that we're in this – I mean, the world has been turned on its head now with the IHRA yeah, working definition, which, you know, yeah. essentially is, is is a chart of Zionism, isn't it, really? Yes, I mean, yes, a, I mean the,
1: IHRA, yeah. the IHRA was drawn up not to combat anti-Semitism – but to combat anti-Zionism and to label it and target and smear it as anti-Semitism. Why else would you, seven of the illustrations, uh, deal with Israel? I mean, it says that, you know, if you question the existence of a Jewish state or the Israeli state, that is anti-Semitic. Why? Jews aren't a nation. Why should they be entitled to a state? It says if you describe Israel as a racist endeavor. Well, it is a racist endeavor. I mean, every. Of course, absolutely. You know, (laughs) know.
0: settler colonial, I mean, you know, all these, I mean, mean, settler colonial uh, entities, I mean, from the United States of America in its early days, Australia, you know, of course they're
1: racist. Every aspect of it is. Every aspect of Israel is racist. Uh, There can hardly be any disagreement. I mean, 93% of Israeli land is for Jews only. There are hundreds of Jewish-only communities uh, in every aspect, welfare benefits, student grants, you name it, Mm. Arabs or Palestinians inside Israel even are discriminated against, let alone the... And when you come to the West Bank, well, you have two legal systems on one territory, one for Jews and one for Palestinians. How can that not be an apartheid situation?
0: Absolutely. Well, absolutely. But, you know, Tony, I mean... You said that Z book said it was it was its century, all these other publishers wouldn't uh, touch it. Do you think that's why? I mean, I know you said as well, but of course this it was a secret, and yet most people are completely unaware of this. I mean, this will be an absolute revelation for people, I think, hearing you tonight and those mm-hmm. that get the chance to, to read your book. I mean, do you think that's why nobody else has has written a sort of account that that you've that you've done now? I mean, you know, all these years later, it's it's come down to Tony Greenstein to 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 write this. I mean, why is that?
1: Well, it's a good question. Uh, the last book which dealt with Zionist-Nazi collaboration was in 1983 by Lenny Brenner, Zionism and the Age of the Dictators, which is a good book. I don't agree with all of it. It's yeah. analysis, but it's a good book. Uh, I mean, Professor uh, Francis Nicosia, who's the Rao Hilberg Professor of Holocaust Studies at Vermont University, he's written two books very similar uh, Third Reich and the Palestine question, Zionism and anti-Semitism in Nazi Germany. Mm. He, I would say, is pro-Zionist, but he provides much of the evidence for what happened, uh, and I don't think really anyone can disagree with it. Uh, I think many of his conclusions are at variance with the evidence he produced. But for, I mean, for instance, I mean, Ken Livingston got uh, into hot water, didn't he, because he said that. Uh, that the Nazis had supported Zionism. But again, I mean, the evidence is extremely clear. I mean, I'll give you an example. On the 28th of January, 1935, Reinhard Heydrich, who was described by uh, Gerald Rettlinger in his book, The Final Solution, as the engineer of The Final Solution, issued a directive stating the activity of the Zionist-oriented youth organisations that are engaged in the occupational restructuring of the Jews lies in the interest of the National Socialist state leadership. They are not to be treated with that strictness that is necessary to apply to the members of the so-called German-Jewish organizations, brackets, assimilationists. And then in May 35, Schwartz which is the pe- was the paper of the SS, wrote that the Zionists adhere to a strict racial position. By emigrating to Palestine, they're helping to build their own Jewish state. The assimilation-minded Jews deny their race and insist on their loyalty to Germany or claim to be Christians, which is worse because they've been baptised in order to subvert national socialist principles. So, I mean, it was absolutely clear. And that was uh, – uh, I sourced that from Lucy de Widowit, who's a right, was a right wing Zionist in her book, War Against the Jews. And for anyone who wants to refer to it, it's page 118. So, I mean, it's quite clear. I mean, the anti-Zionist, non-Zionist youth organizations were banned in 1936. The Zionist ones were banned in 1939. Of Mm. course, at the end of the day, I mean, Zionist Jews went uh, into the gas chambers too. But I think also one must make a great distinction between ordinary Zionists then, most of whom supported the boycott of Germany, and the Zionist leadership. Which yeah. is a very different kettle of fish,
0: and I don't
1: no, think you confuse that. But
0: we'll say a little bit more actually about the um, about the economic boycott of, of Germany that was was trying to be organised um, by by the world jury, as I understand it. That I believe the Zionists in in in, uh, in Germany were were not happy about that. Just say a little bit about that if you can.
1: Yes, I mean the. Uh... When Hitler came to power in January 33, the immediate reaction of Jews, most Jews, including Zionist Jews, or rank and file Zionists, was of course to boycott not to buy anything German. It was a natural reaction. It took off spontaneously like wildfire. Uh on March, I think it was the 25th, when the boycott movement was going to hold a a rally in a, a monster rally in the United States, goring summoned three leaders of the Jewish community. He didn't even invite the Zionists because they were such a tiny minority. And it was only at the end, the last minute, they secured an invitation. And he told them, basically, to go to the West and try and get this called off. The, Z- the Nazis were extremely worried about the boycott because they depended on exports for their financial and economic situation. Uh, and without- how did the Zionists, How did the Zionists react to that request then by Goering? Well, the Zionists were very favorable. They they agreed, yeah. they volunteered to go because from the start the Zionists had attacked the as un-Zionist. They said we want to we want to work with them. I mean I can quote again I mean if you want uh it's a letter that was sent on the 21st of June 1933 by the Zionist Federation of Germany. Well on the 21st of June the Zionist Federation sorry for that sent a memo That's to okay. Uh, and it said, basically, I mean, I can go through it. Zionism has no illusions about the difficulty of the Jewish condition, which consists of, of an abnormal occupational pattern and so on. Our acknowledgement of Jewish nationality provides for a clear and sincere relationship to the German people and its national and racial realities, precisely because we don't wish to falsify these fundamentals because we too are against mixed marriages and for maintaining the purity of the Jewish group. The realisation of Zionism could only be hurt by resentment of Jews abroad against the German development. Boycott propaganda is in essence fundamentally un-Zionist because Zionism wants not to do battle, but to convince and to build. And this was sent on the 21st of June to Hitler. So make of that what you want. It was never answered but it was found after the war yeah uh, i mean that was their attitude i mean uh they never once at the zionist congress has condemned uh, the hitler regime you'd think that's amazing but that's so when you when you listen to them today <coughs> you should ask yourself why that was and yet i mean you you mentioned ken there ken livingston
0: of course yes. he, he he cited the havara transfer agreement yes. in, in an interview after he was asked about Hitler, I believe. I, mean, I think he was yeah, yeah. actually he was doing a tour of the TV and radio studios mm. at the time. I think in support of of Nash Shah, who was That's an MP, right, yes, yes. Uh, in Bradford, who'd been suspended on spurious grounds of of anti Semitism, and, and and Ken was doing the rounds, Go in, basically, basically Go supporting room. her, and um, yeah, I think he got asked about Hitler, and, and he and he cited the. Uh, a Havara transfer agreement, and then got doorsteped on. Um, you'll be well aware, Tony, um, by uh, John Mann, and John Mann uh, accusing him of being a Nazi apologist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, just tell yeah. us about this Havara agreement and the Zionist role in the Havara agreement. What was the Havara transfer agreement? What was the Zionist role in it?
1: Well, and was, and was Ken accurate in in, in his description? Ken was accurate. He made one or two small mistakes like calling Palestine Israel, which hadn't come about, and he got Hitler's accession wrong. I think he said 1932 rather than 1933. But in essence, he, of course, he was right. Uh, it started off as a private initiative, and it was taken over by the Zionist movement. And what it involved, basically, was that the Reichsmarks of the German Jews were put into a frozen bank account They couldn't be taken out of the country, but what happened was they were used to purchase German machinery, which was then exported to Palestine. So there was no loss of hard currency, except for the £1,000 that Jews could take out of the country in hard currency in order to gain entrance to Palestine. But only a small minority of Jews ever took advantage of it because it applied mainly to the rich Jews. One thousand. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't available to working class Jews, and many of
0: whom were, were communists and socialists, as, as I understand yeah, it. Well,
1: some, some. I mean, it was yeah. a mainly middle class community which got poorer. But a thousand pounds then is worth about eighty-five thousand pounds now. Yeah, yes, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you had that in spare cash, plus enough to towards the machinery and so on, uh, you were pretty comfortably off. So. Yeah. And that kind of person would have been able to find refuge somewhere else. I mean, many countries would accept someone with that kind of wealth. So Haverhill really didn't save anyone. What it did was block the exit of many more. And the Zionists, I mean, lobbied the Gestapo not to allow jews to use it to go to any other place and in practice it actually prejudiced the, the position of jews in germany it never helped them and it was wow. certainly not aimed at helping jews because the, the zionists didn't want most german jews they were the wrong sort of jew they wanted yeah. young healthy uh obviously zionists young pioneers they didn't want uh refugees uh, this was not what Zionism was about. It was not a refugee movement. Of course, they pretend no. today that it's different, but then it was very much the case.
0: Mm. So, I mean, and, you know what I find fascinating as well, Tony, is people like Benjamin Netanyahu sort of essentially rewriting uh, history and uh, you know blaming uh, 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 the Mufti in, in Palestine for what the Nazis eventually did to. The, the Jews, I mean, yes. a bit about that, if you if you can, as well.
1: Oh, well, at the Zionist Congress in 2015, uh, Hitler, uh, not Hitler, Netanyahu, uh, made a speech which basically said that as a result of the meeting between the Mufti and Hitler, which was in November 1941, uh, as far as I remember, it was about around that time, uh that Hitler wanted to expel the Jews, and it's true, the Nazis wanted to expel the Jews while they could, and he was persuaded by the Mufti to burn them instead. Uh, and so the Holocaust really is because of the Palestinians, which
0: the, the, is the, the just,
1: Palestinians, yeah. to be uh, fair, I mean, uh, I don't know of any legitimate Zionist historian who accepts this load of nonsense because yes, the, the historical evidence is quite clear Firstly, the transcript is available at the meeting, and it says nothing of the kind. Secondly, the Holocaust started in June 1941 with Operation Barbarossa, the invasion of Russia, uh, yeah. when the Einsatzgruppen followed in the wake of the German army and started mopping up Jews in White Russia, Ukraine, and so on. Uh, so yeah. it's clearly not true. Chelno had begun an Operation, the first extermination camp, I think. Uh, a couple, well, a, a couple of weeks later, uh, Belzec had already the plans the, uh, had already got into operation. These were two of the Reinhard uh, Heydrich Reinhard plan. Uh, they were called Reinhard uh extermination camps. So, uh, an Auschwitz was functioning anyway, although it wasn't yet exterminating Jews. So, uh, everything historically is wrong about it. The evidence for this that they. Pr- produce is from Dieter uh, who was Eichmann's man in Slovakia. Slovakia was where the first deportations of Jews to the extermination camps took place. And he gave evidence at the Nuremberg trials that Eichmann uh, and the Mufti uh, had met with each other and plotted and planned. But this was clearly to save his own neck. I mean, he was hanged in by uh, the Czechoslovakians uh, when he was handed over to them by the Americans, uh, and yeah. he clearly wanted, uh, if you like, to be useful to the Zionists because they were going round, Rudolf Kastner, who was the leader of the Hungarian Zionists, were going round Nuremberg uh, exonerating different Nazis, not only Kurt Becher, uh, who people may have heard of, but uh, – Krumi, uh, Herman Krumi, who was the second in charge to Eichmann and personally carried out the Hungarian Holocaust, which killed over 400,000 Jews. So uh, it rests on very shaky foundations, not least because when Eichmann was interviewed by the Israeli police in Israel and asked about the Mufti, he said he'd never met him. So, I mean, there really is no evidence apart from a confession made by Viscal uh, Seni to save his own neck. Mm. How difficult was it,
0: Tony, uh, you know, writing this book? I, I mean, I know you said a lot of the information you know, is available. I mean, do, I mean, are are there are, there, are you r- revealing things in the book which you know for the first time and and so on? I mean, one of the things yes, I think it, would be re- really be interesting uh, is you know the the background to the uh, the Zionist movement, actually, as you say, lobbying the Gestapo. I mean, Actually, it's mind-blowing, you know, when you when you hear these. Well, words, yes. I mean, in my blowing. chapter,
1: in in my book, I mean, if I can find it here, uh, I have a small section on uh, the Holocaust and Zionism. In fact, it's a chapter uh, on the Holocaust and Zionism. Uh, mm-hmm. And it says, uh, if I can find it, I probably can't now.
0: Yeah, I know the problem, uh, Tony. When you're trying to find something, it's
1: always. A... I know, I know. So uh, you summarise it, Tony, if you can't find it. I mean, or yeah, I, I mean, it. I will. I wanted to, if I could quote from it directly. Uh, no, I, I can't find it now, but uh, basically. Uh, they lobbied uh, the Nazis to only allow Jews to go to Palestine, and since they couldn't, uh, it, it was virtually barred. Uh, it, it meant they were actually campaigning uh, for them to go nowhere, and that was uh, repeatedly. I mean, well, that was, and
0: that was a death sentence effort for many Jews.
1: I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, they had. I mean. Uh, their attitude to Evion was no different either uh,
0: Just say a bit more about that Tony
1: yes yes i mean uh if i can just find this again uh yes it was a meeting in fact i was wondering if we could share uh i could possibly bring it up on the so people could actually see it for themselves it's an article well, but well I'm, if you could i mean i'm not in control of the
0: of that i don't know if Gascon, all right uh, yes can- Can can you make that possible, Gaz, to allow Tony to share screen?
1: (laughs) Okay. uh, Well, I can put it here. uh, You put it there
0: and then just talk to it, Tony.
1: Yes. I mean, let me me read the quotation now. Uh, It's from a book, uh, The Jewish State or the Israeli State, by Boaz Avron. He was a journalist for Yidiyah Ahrenad, which is the widest circulation paper in Israel. And he quotes from a letter by George Landor, who was in charge of the resettlement of German Jews to Stephen Weiss, who was the leader of American, uh, American Zionism. And it's dated February the 13th, 1938. The Evian Conference was called by Roosevelt uh, because to try and solve the Jewish refugee uh, problem. It was called on the basis that no state would have to change their policy. It was really a face-saving exercise. But the Zionists weren't aware of this. And Landor wrote, quote, I'm writing this letter at the request of Dr. Weitzman, who was the president of the Zionist organization, the first president of Israel, because we are extremely concerned lest the problem, that was the problem of Jewish refugees, be presented in a way which could prejudice the activity for Eretz Israel, that's the land of Israel. Even if the conference does not propose immediately after its opening other countries, but Eretz Israel as venues for Jewish immigration emigration, it will certainly arouse a public response that could put the importance of Eretz Israel in the shade. And then there's an ellipse. We are particularly worried that it would move Jewish organizations to collect large sums of money for aid to Jewish refugees. And these collections could interfere with our own collection uh, efforts. That's page 178. Uh and then he goes on. There is also a statement by Menachem Sishkin, who was a Russian member of the Zionist executive, in the meeting of the Jewish Agency executive on the, June 26, 1938. This was after the conference. He is highly concerned at the Evion conference. No, Mr. Greenbaum, who's another member of the executive, is right in stating that there is a danger that Jewish people also will take Eretz Yisrael off its agenda. And this should be viewed by us as a terrible danger. So it's not the danger to the Jewish people or the Jewish okay. refugees that concerns it, but the danger to the Zionist movement. He hoped to hear in Evian that Eretz Israel remains the main venue for Jewish emigration. All other emigration countries do not interest him. The greatest danger is that attempts will be made Listen to this, the greatest danger is that attempts will be made to find other territories for Jewish emigration. <laughs> There's a danger that Jewish people will also will take Eretz Israel off its gender, and this should be viewed by us as a terrible danger. He hoped to hear in Avion that Eretz Israel remains the main venue for Jewish emigration or the emigration countries do not interest him. The greatest danger is that attempts will be made to find other territories for Jewish emigration. And the account of Ben-Gurion's statement at the same meeting, no rationalizations can turn the conference from a harmful one to a useful one. What can and should be done is to limit the damage as far as possible. He doesn't know whether the Evian Conference will open the gates of other countries to Jewish immigration, but like Greenbaum and the Sishkin, he fears that at this time the conference is liable to cause immense harm to Erit, Israel and Zionism. It was summed up in the meeting. That the Zionist thing to do is to, quote, belittle the conference as far as possible and to cause it to decide nothing. So really, there you have it.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: they were absolutely opposed to everyone and were determined to do it down if they could.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think you've been working on this book no. for, for some time now. No, no, I mean, no. in your research, I mean, did you discover anything that, that shocked you? or Sorry? It, is, when you were researching the book, did, did you come across any information that, that shocked you? Or were you pretty kind of hardened to uh,
1: all of the? No, nothing shocked me because uh, I was quite well aware.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, I was also, quite was well it, aware. Uh, I mean,
0: how long have you been working on the sort of researching and you know pulling all this together, Tony? Because I think you've been Ooh, over with- a
1: period of a decade. I mean, I, I right. had quite a long period of an illness, so that right. interfered with it. But it was over a decade. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I read through hundreds of journal articles, uh, books. Uh, I went uh, into the uh, archives of the Jewish Chronicle at some depth, so there is some new material uh, and so on. So I mean. But it pulls it all together in a way that it's comprehensible uh, and it hasn't been done before. But it's also not just about who did what, when, and how. It's also about it's a a comprehensive deconstruction of Zionist historiography because Zionism has rewritten the Holocaust according to its own narrative. So, for example, he... uh, The Warsaw Ghetto, I mean, you you would imagine today from the film and other things that the people were the heroes in the Warsaw Ghetto were the Zionists, whereas that wasn't the case. I mean, there were Zionist fighters, but the Zionist fighters who were there were instructed by their youth movements to leave uh, the Warsaw Ghetto.
0: No, indeed, yeah. 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 I mean, uh, yes, that's okay, Tony, yeah. Just bear with us, the viewers. Tony has uh, obviously got some domestic uh, arrangements he's having to contend with while he's uh, speaking to us on on the program. But uh, what I'm going to do in a moment is I'll uh, I'll bring um, Sean in. Actually, I don't know if Sean can get Sean up on the screen and just sort of see what uh, sort of reaction we're getting from our viewers. Are you there,
2: Sean? I'm here. Yes. Um. Yeah. Um. Good evening, everyone. Um great to be back i have to say we've been off air for for quite a while now um yourself me and uh lizzie so hopefully we'll be be back from tonight um Mm -hmm. so yeah we've been having
1: conversations about different
2: books that we're all reading at the moment and uh, we've had one or two questions come in which hopefully tony will be able to to answer for us when he comes back um yeah One of the books I've been reading uh, recently over my holiday that I've just been on um, is called uh, Operation Paperclip, um, which is very, very interesting. I don't know if you're aware of that. That was uh, an operation done by the secret intelligence just after the Second World War to round up all the Nazi scientists and take them over to America. Yes,
0: yes, they do. uh, so, So from...
2: What I've, what I've yeah of that it too. is it is and you know what what i've gleaned from that is so today this is the reason why we have big pharma we have bio weapons we have nuclear weapons we have all these horrible things um in the world yeah. um that's cut that came from that era um yeah, so it's it's quite uh, it's quite shocking to uh, to read all yeah. that and see how it's reflected on no on, indeed on, on us today
0: Tony, um, I don't know if, you, if if we've got your attention uh, again, Tony. Um, just just to, because I brought Sean in now, and we're just going to get some sure. audience uh, reaction. Uh, but but before I do that, uh, how can people get hold of your book?
1: All right. The best way is to write to me.
0: Right. And how Tony do do Greenstein,
1: that? 104 at gmail.com. Tony Greenstein, 104, 104 at, gmail. at gmail.com. Okay, uh, yeah or they can send a cheque to P.O. Box 173, writing bn 519 ez Well,
0: hopefully so we, can, e- we, can, we, can, we can update the uh, description of this discussion when it goes out afterwards, as, just as a kind of YouTube link for people to, to watch and give those uh, details. How much is the book, Tony? Oh,
1: 1250 for a paperback. That's a steal. pounds for a hardback.
0: Well, that's a steal, mate. My, mine's my my book was nineteen nice pound, mate, for a paperback. But uh, you know. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, mate, no. Yours is a steal, mate. Yours is you know it's a really good value for, for what will be a really fascinating and, and interesting read, I'm sure. But uh, let me hand uh, back over to Sean in the in the closing sort of fifteen minutes or so. Uh, just sort of get kind of audience reaction and and just get your thoughts on what people yeah, sure. have said sure. and any questions that they might have.
2: Yeah, pe- yeah, people are absolutely fascinated, Tony, and of course they they do want to buy your book. Um, I was wondering if if you've got any plans to do it on an audio book. Uh,
1: yes, one will be coming out or an e book, I think. Uh, I'm not sure about an audio book. I don't really know the difference. I presume audio you just listen to it. Is that right? Yes, yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, a, that's uh, a lot of people are going. i just recorded mine. Actually, it's being edited
0: as as we speak, and. Ah. Um, uh. I'm not it sure will, about that. To be quite honest, and, I, I wouldn't and, like and to give
1: it, a yes to that.
0: No, it's uh, it's 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 um yeah, it's quite a long winded process. But I think if you if you can, Tony, and you know you got the time, mm. it, it's it, it's worth it um, because it just expands the audience. Because a lot of people now are into Audible, uh, you know, audio books. You know, they can listen bye, bye. to it while they're driving and things like that. So. You know, something that might be worth worth considering. So what some authors do, I didn't feel it was appropriate to do this. Yeah. But what some authors do is get someone else in to read it for them. Uh, but of course, there's a cost associated with that. Um, but I think it's more authentic if you, you know, if you've got the inclination of the time to record it yourself but anyway yeah something to sort of think about anyway back
2: to Sean yeah I've got a couple of questions for you Tony the first one is from Prue and she asks any historical links between Zionism and Ukrainian Nazis now I I did point out to her that there is a a Zionist sect called Habad Lubavitch who have their headquarters in the Ukraine. Um but uh, maybe you can expand on that any historical links between Zionism and Ukrainian Nazis?
1: Well, the main the main link was in 1921 when the founder of Revisionist Zionism formed an agreement with Swarovski, who was a representative of Petliora. Again, it's in the book. Uh, there's been a long history of collaboration, and I say, the leader of the Revisionist Zionist, who was then on the Zionist executive, uh, undertook that. Petliora was responsible for the death of about 100,000 Jews in the pogroms, incidentally. Uh, I mean, yes, I mean, we've seen today, uh, I mean, not just today, but for the last seven, eight years, Israel's been arming, training, and so on, the Azov Battalion, another neo-Nazi militias, the Adair Battalion, and so on, in Ukraine. So, I mean, there is this long history, but it's not just Ukraine. I mean, in in Argentina, there was a neo-Nazi junta uh, established in 1976 and for seven years it ruled. And Israel armed, supplied, weaponized that junta, even though one about 12.5% of its victims, it killed about 30 people. They died under torture mainly, uh, were Jewish. It was a neo-Nazi. It had its own weird conspiracy theory, the Andinia plan of Marx, Freud and Einstein getting together and controlling the world. So, I mean... Uh, this neo-Nazi junta was the best of friends with Israel. And in fact, the... Uh,
0: yeah, I'll
1: just let my son in. Can I? Sorry. Yeah. Okay, mate. Yeah.
0: Any other uh, comments that people have been uh, putting out there,
2: John. Uh, um, yeah. There's, uh, Lizzie was asking about um, how much do you, control do you think the lobby have over our politics in this country? What's your view on that, Chris?
0: Oh, <laughs> quite quite a bit, I think. I mean, that was pretty evident, wasn't it, during Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of the Labour Party? And uh, he got very bad advice, in my opinion, from his uh, team in the leader's office who were constantly urging him to go and prostrate himself before the Board of Deputies of British Jews and the Jewish Leadership Council at uh, and, and so I mean, on. And that's okay, Tony. Now, we're just picking up on another comment that was made about the influence of the uh, the Zionist lobby on British uh, politics today, and I'm just highlighting the influence that they wielded uh, in relation to bringing down uh, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, leadership of the of the Labour Party. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was very effective. And uh, I mean, obviously the response I think was from you know the leadership was crass. I mean, to continue to try to appease. The unappeasable, I think, was was an absolutely disastrous strategy. I'm not saying confronting them would have necessarily prevailed, but it would have certainly, I think, um, had a far better chance of um, succeeding had they done that. I mean, by constantly backing down in the way that they did, just really fed the beast, as it were, and made it made it stronger. And they, you know, they they kind of kept wanting to go further. Because at the end of the day, Zionists, you know, Zionism is kind of maximalist strategy that they. Apply and that's been pretty evident, I think, from you know from what we've seen how they've you know continued to pursue Jeremy Corbyn, continued to pursue other people, me included, you know academics, indeed yourself, Sean victim of their you know their tactics. So no, that was absolutely disastrous. But Tony, I mean, sorry, I don't know if you was wanted to sort of add any more to.
2: Um, yeah, was, you were you were talking about the the junta in, um,
1: in South Argentina, America, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it. It ruled for seven years. Israel didn't once raise the question of anti-Semitism, the persecution of Jews. Not only that, but Jews who were defined as subversive by the Junta were f- refused or turned away by the Israeli embassy in Buenos Aires. Uh, yeah. As far as uh, Israel was concerned, it had a profitable, a profitable trade uh, with Argentina uh, in terms of arms. It was supplying. Uh, billion dollars a year at one point uh and it didn't want that jeopardized by the anti-semitism in the uh in argentina so i mean Mm -hmm. when it came to a choice between the jews and the jewish state the choice was the jewish state Uh, and that has always been zionism's uh, position because zionism was never set up to combat anti-semitism uh zionism Zionism started from the belief that you couldn't fight anti-Semitism. I mean, if I quote uh, Theodore Herzl again, uh, who was a journalist in Paris uh, for the New Free Press, uh, Viennese Journal, and he said, and this was in the middle of the Dreyfus Affair in 19, uh, 1896, he yeah. said, in Paris, I achieved a freer attitude towards anti-Semitism which I now began to understand historically and to pardon. Above all, I recognised the emptiness and futility of trying to combat anti-Semitism. So there you have it. And combat is in inverted commas. Yeah. Uh, he didn't yeah. combat it at all. And nor yeah, okay. did he want to. It didn't see it as oh. its task. Its task okay. was to build a Jewish state. And that's mm. what it concentrated on.
0: Yeah. Of course, at these days, Tony, of course, you know, we've got the, the so-called new anti-Semitism, which I think we touched on early on in the, in the program, which, you know, David Bedil is now uh, uh, sort of um, touring the TV studios and got his own little documentary. But, but as we know, it's, it's, it's about, you know, trying to stifle of Israel, although he says that uh, he's no real interest in, in Israel. <laughs> I don't know well, I mean, it. he was
1: part, of, he, he subscribed to the whole theory of Corbyn being anti-Semitic and the yeah. Labour left anti-Semitic. I mean, the man is a hypocrite and a liar. Uh, he turned up at Keir Starmer's house with a book, uh, his book uh, on uh, anti-Semitism, which Starmer related to the Labour friends of Israel. So, I mean, it's quite clear what his agenda is. I mean, he's a racist anyway. I mean, he... He he was responsible for blackface, for ridiculing Jason Lee and basically... Yes, pers-
0: he has subsequently apologised for that now, hasn't he? But, I mean, 25 years after the event. But he, but he has, uh, you know, apologised. I'm going to have
1: the, to terminate well, this now because there's a problem with my child.
0: Oh, OK, no worries, Antonio. Well, listen, uh, thanks very much indeed for taking the time to uh, join yeah. us this evening. <laughs> I, I hope that uh, people uh, have found the... Uh, uh, Tony's contribution, interesting. Apologies for the interruptions he's got, but obviously domestic arrangements sometimes do uh, get in the way, unfortunately, of uh, of real life. Um, but yeah, um Thank you uh, anyway, everybody, for for watching. Uh, thanks, Sean. I don't know if there's any other comments that people have got that we want that you want to share. Or
2: no, it, you know, I thought that was quite an interesting um, question from Lizzie about how much control do you think the lobby have over our politics yeah. in this country? Yeah. And yeah. of course, it was it's it's wasn't just the the anti-corbyn stance. I mean, you know, we have quite a few members of the Conservative government who are. Involved in the campaign against anti Semitism, um, uh, in um, the Conservative Friends of Israel, um, yeah, and all those I mean, kind of things. So, yeah. um, you know, like my, I don't well, know, I mean, Mike the, just the... one, one of their board members. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's the Al Jazeera documentary, of course, wasn't there, uh, in 2017, at the beginning of 2017, that talked about the influence of the Israel lobby on British politics. And it didn't just focus you right know, on the Labour Party. I mean, Certainly, uh, has you know significant influence in the conservative party, and indeed, they talked about taking uh one of the uh Tory ministers down, um, Alan Duncan, because he was you know critical of uh, the uh the Zionist entity. Um, I mean, that's one of his only saving graces, I think. I mean, he's mm-hmm. uh, he's uh, you know, he's a and, uh, you know, Boris... right winger, but.
2: Uh... Boris Johnson has been very heavily involved in the state of Israel. You know, I have pictures with him, stood with um, Habad Lubavitch uh, rabbis in front of a big sign that says Habad Lubavitch all over it. Um, And... um, at the Wailing Wall, and um, photographed with the IDF uh, soldiers, um, as, and George Osborne as well. He was uh, photographed with the IDF soldiers. So yeah, they all—they yeah. all seem to sort of go over there and pay homage, don't they, to uh, to they the seem great to state be that, Israel that
0: way. And uh, you know, Bicom, which uh, you know, is Israel uh, communications um, outfit in this country, kind of pro-Israel lobbying. Body and then APAC in the United States. These are very influential uh, lobbies, and uh, you know they they do everything they in their power to you know squash any uh, criticism of of Israel and and holding Israel to account. I so you know we're obviously taking on very very powerful vested interests here, but I think it's important that we do speak up for justice and speak up for the Palestinian people and, and speak up against you know a hostile foreign states you know um having too much influence over the democracy in this country but um anyway we'll probably uh call it a night there um we're ending slightly ahead of schedule say tony's uh, domestic uh, situation got in the in the way there unfortunately um but uh hopefully people will buy the book that tony's written it, it will be a fascinating insight if anybody's read his his blogs on a regular basis, you know, he, you know, he's a sort of an encyclopedic uh, knowledge and always very well researched. So I think it will be a useful historical tome that um, hopefully will help to improve and inform uh, the debate, which has been pretty one-sided hitherto. And uh, hopefully Tony's work can help to, you know, level up the the playing field a bit and Mm. and get some historical perspective into, you know, the reality of, of Zionism. But thank you anyway. Uh, thank everybody for watching. Thanks, uh, Sean, for um, moderating uh, today. And we'll be back next week, hopefully at the same time, same place, seven o'clock. So see you then and good night.
2: Bye, everyone.